Well, today we celebrate the resurrection, but I'm going to preach you an Easter sermon like you've never heard. Here's one reason why. One Sunday, I preached my Easter sermon. I'm at the back of the church in the receiving line, and a guy comes through the receiving line and says to me, why is it that every time I come to church, you preach on the resurrection? So in case someone like that came today, you're gonna hear something different. Another reason is we are doing a series on the book of Revelation. And today we come to chapter 12. And I was tempted to think, you know, maybe I'll just skip this, I'll, I'll preach it next week. But I thought, no, there, there's an Easter message in this chapter. And so we're going to go ahead and do chapter 12. It's gonna give us insight into Christmas, Good Friday, Easter, the ascension, and things that are going on in our lives and in the world right now. So to give you a little introduction to the book, the book is called Revelation. It's because a revelation was given to the Apostle John by Jesus. And what it does is revelation comes from the word reveal. So a curtain is pulled back and we actually see into the spiritual realm things we would not see if they were not revealed to us or told to us. The book will use symbols and pictures to convey this reality. Now, if you saw the movie, The Sixth Sense, fictional account, but the movie is about people who, some live in the present world and only see the present world. Some people are actually living in a spirit world, and there's a child in the movie who sees both. So I'm gonna show you a little clip. I wanna tell you my secret now. dreams while you're awake okay revelation isn't about dead people but it is about seeing things while you are awake a spiritual realm that's not normally visible to us so I'm going to read you a bit of chapter 12 after I read it you're going to say to yourself, huh, what does that mean? But then I'll explain things and hopefully you'll see, oh, this does apply to our life right now. So here we go, Revelation chapter 12, verses 1 through 12, and also verse 17. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head, she was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its head. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. 
She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters, who accuses them before our God day and night, has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. So the chapter starts off by saying there was a, a sign in heaven a sign points to another reality. It doesn't point to itself. And this sign will appear as a metaphor or as a picture that points to a reality. Not too different than this image you see on the screen. Do you know what it is? Do you know what it means? Let me give you some context. That skyline is the skyline of Hong Kong. That image appeared in 1997, the day after Hong Kong reverted to the rule of communist China. The caption on the cartoon read, today Hong Kong, tomorrow, dot, dot, dot. Now do you know who the dragon is? Now do you have some more insight into what that image is trying to communicate? So in Revelation chapter 12, we see an image. It's an image of a woman. She's a child. She has 12 stars in her crown or around her head. She's clothed with the sun. We're not quite sure what it looks like. John tries to capture it in words. So we're going to put an image on the screen. I'm not, it's not what John saw, but it helps me explain things. So there's a woman. And everything in Revelation, every number, every reference, we've seen in Scripture before. So now, 12 stars. Have I heard of 12 stars before? Have I heard of 12? Well, yes, there's the 12 tribes of Israel. And in the book of Genesis, I read about Joseph, and he had a dream, and there were 12 stars, and 11 stars bowed down to him, and so did the sun that represented his father Israel and the moon that represented his mother. Okay, 
Maybe she's Israel. Let's go further. She's with child, and then we're told that her child will rule the nations with an iron scepter. That's a quote from Psalm 2, a psalm about the Messiah. And last week in chapter 11, we read that that psalm and those verses applied to Jesus. So now we know who the woman represents. She represents Israel, maybe even Mary, and the child represents Jesus. But then verse 3 tells us that there was another sign in heaven. That reads, then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its head. Verse 8 of that same chapter tells us that he is called the devil, and it's Remember, number seven means complete, so he has seven heads, seven crowns. His rule is complete wherever he's ruling. He also has ten horns. Horns represent power. Ten is a number meaning big, mega, or great, so he has great power. And verse four gives us a little bit of his history. His tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. So there was a time when this dragon was known as Lucifer, a very high-ranking angel. He rebelled against God. He convinced a third of the angels to join him in his rebellion, and he was cast out of heaven. He lost his place in heaven, and so did a third of those angels who, when they were cast out, are written of and described in the words of Scripture as dominions, principalities, powers, and demonic spirits. So now we know who the woman is. We know who the child is. We know who the dragon is. And now John is going to describe a spiritual reality that we may not have seen with our eyes. He writes this, the dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. Now this sentence there is going to compress the life of Jesus into just a a short phrase. But here's what was happening at Christmas. We think Jesus and he is, he's born of Mary, he's really a born from Israel. And at his birth, um, there's a, a king named Herod who wants to kill him. He's, we think, you know, Herod's an insecure guy, and he is, and he, he sees Jesus as a threat to his rule, and Jesus is. But John's telling us there's a spiritual reality behind what Herod was doing. That it really was the dragon working through Herod to destroy the Messiah so that he would not usurp uh, Satan's rule on the earth. And then we know that Jesus and Mary and Joseph are visited by the wise men Joseph was warned to take uh, the family to Egypt, and there they were kept by God. And then the rest of Jesus' life is summed up in this phrase, 
where he was snatched up to God's throne. Now, we know about Jesus, his birth, his life, his miracles, his death, his resurrection, his ascension into heaven. But they sum up the life of Jesus by saying he was snatched up and assumed his throne because the end result of all this was that Jesus would rule, that Jesus indeed would rule over all. And in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 20 through 23, we read this. By his power he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion. Those are demonic spirits. Not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything. 1 Corinthians 15 will echo the same idea. The end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominions, authorities, and powers. Again, demonic spirits. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And so Jesus accomplished the salvation of his people by his death and resurrection and ascension. But that ascension means that he rules. He will conquer all his enemies, especially the enemy, the dragon, the devil. And then verse 7 describes a battle that took place somewhere between the crucifixion and the ascension. Perhaps it began during Jesus' earthly ministry. But it says, Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. And I think this is a different battle than what took place in the beginning of the creation. I think this is the battle described in Colossians chapter 2, verse 15. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And so verse 12 tells us, Woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows his time is short. And verse 17, the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's commands and hold fast to their testimony about Jesus. And there you are mentioned in the story. The dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring. Who are they? They keep God's commands and hold fast to their testimony about Jesus. Is Jesus your Savior? People ask you, do you follow Jesus? You will say, yes. You try to follow God's commands. Then you are her offspring. And the scripture says that the dragon wages war against you. Satan is enraged. 
He's been dethroned. He knows his time is short. A a death blow has been uh, leveled at him, and he's still thrashing around, but while he's thrashing around, he's trying to take out as many as he can. And he's aiming his destruction at the offspring, you. So, in a way, we have a, a model for this on the earth. Vladimir Putin, he's like Satan in that in his rage, he's trying to create as much destruction as he can. In his rage, the evil one is trying to destroy as many as he can. Now let me talk about some of the ways he destroys. One way is that he blinds your eyes. 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4. the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. If he can blind you and keep you blind, he's destroyed you. Sometimes people... Um, have temptations that are spiritually compounded. So temptation is part of living on this earth. Things are pleasing to us, things appeal to us, we're we're tempted by them. But I have found that in 35 years of ministry, often normal temptations can be compounded and strengthened by the work of the evil one so that the temptation is beyond temptation. It becomes an obsession, a thing a person just cannot be freed of. They can even see where the temptation will take them to a place of destruction, and they they still don't turn around. And then I've seen times when um, the evil one is confronted in that, and then the power of it is lifted. And then they have power to turn their lives around. The compounded temptation becomes a normal one that can be dismissed. But if that power remains, it drives you to destruction. Satan also destroys us by accusing us. Here he's called the slanderer, the accuser of the brethren. He says things like, look what you've done. Really? God would love you after all that? God won't accept you. You're not saved. Do you see how that destroys a soul? And then there are self-destructive thoughts and voices. This is the voice. Destroy yourself. Now, Depression is part of life on earth, right? Sometimes it's chemically induced. Sometimes there are events that precipitate it. But when that depression is accompanied by voices, let's say destroy yourself, there's a spiritual component there that has to be dealt with and ask the Lord for deliverance there. And then... Satan just tries to take you out of the game. 
Maybe the way he takes you out of the game is he gives you a life of ease. So you just watch the whole thing play out from the sidelines. Or maybe he inflicts a wound, a wound that perhaps came from the church. And you're thinking, I don't want anything to do with them anymore. And so now you're on the sidelines, out of the game. And if he can't destroy you, he goes after the most vulnerable. He doesn't care. He's wicked. He'll go after the most vulnerable person in your family, destroying them, and in the process, destroying you. In all kinds of ways, he seeks to destroy individuals, churches, nations. Have you experienced any of these things in your life? Have you seen any of these things going on? John is telling us, it's just not as you see. He pulls back a curtain and says, there's someone else working behind the scenes. So what do we do? If we feel like we or someone else has been blinded, or if we feel like we're being attacked, or we're feeling like the accusations are crushing us, if we have thoughts of self-destruction, if we're watching our family members being attacked, what can we do? If you feel like you're blinded, you can actually say this, and you can say it out loud. Lord Jesus, I pray that if I have been blinded, I pray the blinders would fall off. I pray this in your name. And then whatever the Lord shows you then, you have to be willing to receive with your heart. Are you feeling crushed by accusations? Do those thoughts keep running through your mind? Then remember the gospel. All your sins have been forgiven. None of those accusations rise up to the throne of God because it's Jesus who appeals to you. Now, Satan will still whisper them to your ear and to your brain, but they don't come before the Lord. They've been covered. Martin Luther wrote, when Satan comes around and says to you, you're a sinner, you deserve hell. You say back to him, I am a sinner, I do deserve hell. What of it? Christ has made full satisfaction for my sins. Not one sin can accuse me. Because of his work, where he is, I will be. Are you feeling attacked? Do you feel like your family is under attack? If it's your family, you gather your family around you. And then you pray, Lord Jesus, in your name, we pray that you would deliver us from evil. Isn't this what we pray in the Lord's Prayer? Pray it out loud with your family. And are you feeling like, yeah, I have been sitting on the sidelines. Well, then get back in the game. You know, people in the Ukraine 
are rising up and are fighting against evil. This is what citizens do. They fight for their country. And we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. We fight for our country. And that means when we see evil, we do something about it. If we have an opportunity to finance the gospel, we finance it. That's an attack against the evil one. Salvation and power have come to you. Not only are we saved by the life and the death and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus, but by those same events, we are given authority and power over the works of the evil one. In a way, we're like an FBI agent. An FBI agent is given authority and weapons to deter evil. Stop, that's the FBI, and you stop, right? Something about that authority, that name, and they can back it up with power. You have been given authority and power to trample on all the works of the evil one. Jesus reveals to John a spiritual reality he can't see. John reveals it to us. It's a spiritual reality that's been going on since the creation of man. It's played out in the life and the death, the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. This is a battle that continues to rage on to this day. But a curtain has been pulled back so that we can see the battle we normally do not see. From our vantage point, we look at the world, we look around us, and we see war, and we see conflict, and we see hate, and we see destroyed families, and we see abuse, and depression, and suicide. The book of Revelation is telling us there's more going on than meets the eye. People in heaven see this reality, and they shout in response. And since we have been shown this reality through the scriptures, we can shout the same things. So I'm gonna put up on the screen what they say in heaven in response to this, and then we're going to say what they say. Ready to read it together? Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters, who accuses them before our God day and night, has been hurled down. They triumph over him by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury, because he knows that his time is short. His time is short. 
If you are in Christ, your time is forever. We might be in the midst of a battle, but he has won the war. He is risen. Let us pray. We worship you, O risen one, who out of love offered himself to death, who by the power of the Father and the Spirit was raised from the dead, who conquered hell and Hades and led up in his train and his ascension a host of captives and opened the way of heaven for us. And from that place, O Lord, you rule. And you are in the midst of defeating all your enemies and ours. We praise you and give you thanksgiving. Lord, some of us might feel attacked this day in a multitude of ways. We can be attacked and deceived and blinded. Lord, we come to you. We bring that thing that we feel like is destroying us. Lord, if the work of the evil one be involved, then Lord, we pray that in the name of Jesus, that power would be broken. In fact, Lord, we're gonna whisper it to you now. In the name of Jesus, I pray that this thing, go ahead and name it before him. Pray that its power is broken. pray that captives will be set free. Those who are afflicted would be relieved. Pray, Lord, that you would do this as a testimony of your goodness and your power. Lord, we join you in your fight. Part of the way we join you is we're going to give an offering that advances the gospel. The gospel advances your kingdom and works against the kingdom of Satan. So we're joining you in that fight this morning with our gifts. So bless these gifts, Lord. Raise us up to be warriors who press the fight and represent your goodness to the world around us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.